Welcome to the Wild West Show, where we talk real estate investing and all things business. Thanks for joining and enjoy the show. All right, welcome back. We are live for episode four, and today we've got an amazing guest. His name is Mike Taravella. Mike, go ahead and introduce yourself. What's going on, boys? Uh, happy to be on here, the podcast. Uh, awesome, just, you know, ever since moving to Nashville and just hanging out with you guys and just taking over the world with you. But Mike Taravella, former CPA, uh, did CPA route for two years or five years. Uh, realized it just was a terrible lifestyle to just constantly work in an office. Uh, and uh, I worked, got the opportunity to work for Dan Gilbert for Quicken Loans and the Cleveland Cavaliers and launching his startups. But the biggest thing was just seeing what he was doing in downtown Detroit and just buying properties and scaling. I mean, he even refied like a $17 million last this past year. But <laughs> light work. Uh, but just seeing what he was doing and making the impact, I realized I was like, okay, I need to leverage something. Uh, I was I was helping a lot of twelve of his startups grow and scale, but I realized that I wasn't taking my own advice doing single family houses. So I had two single families in Michigan, and I was like, this is a lot of fucking work. <laughs> uh, and I realized I needed to scale, like I was doing the real or the companies so I, I took a year off educated myself and just networked my face off in multifamily uh got the opportunity to work for a group in knoxville for the past three years and recently just went out on my own and been a part of 600 units uh 73 million assets under management and none of those ma- uh mean anything because it's, you own a piece of it and i wouldn't be here without my partners because in syndications and JVs, you get a small piece of it. So I always say the joke, my first deal is 143 units in Lexington, Kentucky, and I own half a bathroom in there. So, <laughs> yes. Yes. so when people flex units and assets under management, it, for me, it just doesn't mean anything because it's just making sure you're paying your investors and making them happy and just continue to grow scale and just mm. help people like you guys and the listeners out there and keep taking over the world. Awesome. Um, so That was a lot. Yeah, for the yeah. listeners who don't know... Because we have a lot of people on here who don't or who are really new in the game. Um, what are syndications? Like, define a syndication. Deal. Great question. Yeah, syndications are just pooling money. So, like, I think people think about real estate, but even before Broadway shows are actually syndications. So, people, a, a group of people like us four, would pool money together from passive investors legally with syndication attorneys. This is not legal advice, and I'm a CPA, but not your CPA. Disclosure. <laughs> exclamation point asterisk whatever uh but all it is 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 a is one group is actively trying to purchase something Mm -hmm. with a pool of money from passive investors so passive is they make no decision making no they they're investing money in the hope of return uh so for those looking and trying to do it the shortcut way syndication attorneys give the first 30 minutes free so contact them for all the rules uh, it's because when we invest in syndications, there are SEC regulations and we're filed with the SEC. So we want to make sure everything's by the book and make sure you're following the rules. So there's a 506B, which you have to have a pre, uh, pre-existing relationship. Uh, a 506C is where you can post on Facebook. So think of like Grant Cardone. His is a little bit different because it's Reg A, so he can post to anyone. Uh, but a lot of people who post deals on Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, they're 506C, and you have to be accredited, which if you're single, you can make 200 grand the last two tax returns or have a million dollars that does not include your legal or your primary residence. If you're married, it's 300 grand. Um, 
like I said, talk to a syndication attorney. They're free the first 30 minutes, and there's a lot of them that you can use. Uh, but, yeah, I know it's legal boring jargon, but essentially it's you're trying to raise funds from passive investors to help you grow, uh, purchase one thing, and the attempt to make money. So, yeah, that's the boring side of syndications. But talk to attorneys. they <laughs> worth it every time because you can end up in jail if you don't do it the right way. Hmm. So I have a question. With syndications, um, did you start gaining experience with syndications um, kind of going solo on your own, or did you do that beforehand working for, like you said, Quicken Loans, different parties? Yeah, like- so yeah, I think I worked with a group, and we did our first syndication. And then for me, it's like you have to have a pool of investors. You kind of have to have that pre-existing relationship because – I think the biggest thing that I see with single family people versus multifamily, and we've talked about this before, is like on a multifamily side, you have to kind of have your key principal lined up, which is someone who qualifies for the loan. And that means they have a net worth greater than the loan amount. And they have to have post close liquidity of a generally of 20% of the loan after you close. So you can't just be like, I pull all of my money in and I have just enough to pay the, because they know they're, once the bank, you get the loan and you purchase the property, you're not going to be able to afford the liquidity after. So mm-hmm. uh, you, you, there's a lot of partnerships in single family. Like You can do it on your, lo- on your own, but in multifamily, you just need a lot more partnerships, a lot more money, property managers, vendors, and I seek to serve just um, underwriting deals for free. I worked for a group literally – uh, after the best ever conference in 2019, underwriting deals for free. And they're like, why we would pay you? And I'm like, Hey, you called me first. So, <laughs> um, always seek with value. And so because I worked with, uh, the group, uh, we did 143 units and then we, we pivoted to more JVs because it just made more sense for us. Uh, but I think of syndication as a tool, if you don't have money, but you have a good opportunity in front of you. So if it's a JV, it's a syndication, don't let the technicalities fool you. Just make sure you're doing it legally with uh, talking to those lawyers. Hmm. When you say like JV, is that compared to a syndication, what are the differences in that? Is there legal differences or? Yeah. So I think with a JV, there's a little more flexibility, but it's more of like, what is this? I think of like when I say a JV, it's more of like, is it us for doing a deal? Mm-hmm. because we have enough means and resources to do it where we all have active roles. So it's like if I'm asset managing and you found the deal and you're raising the money, and but we're all working on managing on the property together, that's super critical versus a syndication is more of there's people who are truly passive and people who are truly active on it. So it's just making sure you get it structured right because – I've just seen a lot of question, like questionable Facebook posts where like, I have a 300-unit deal in Houston. And I always go, I comment, is it a 506B or C? And they're like, what's that? And I go, here's a syndication attorney and do it right. So it's just making mm-hmm. sure that you're not illegally creating a security. And I know this is just like the sexiest podcast ever talking about legal <laughs> the whole time on a Friday night. But I think it's just super important when you're getting started. Uh, there's a lot of resources, a lot of great podcasts with syndication attorneys, but literally just like, connect with them and see if it's because i just don't want to see our list like any of the listeners i'm going to jv but uh and when it's really a syndication so but a jv allows you to just there's n- there's not as many fees and acquisitions or an asset management fee there's more flexibility of do you want to hold it forever do you want to keep it do you want to flip it there's a lot more flexibility versus when you syndicate 
you have your bosses, aka your limited partners, that you have to look out for and pay for. So, a little bit different, but you know, like I said, it's a different vehicle to make sure you're scaling your business. Hmm. Have you, when it comes to syndications, have you done both the GP and the LP side, or only GP side for you? Uh, I've in- I've done one syndication as an LP because <laughs> I have self-directed retirement funds, uh, and it worked out great. I think a lot of people in just given where we're in the market cycle, people want to be more GPs because they get they think they get more. But really, I what I explain to investors is, hey, with that GP comes more work. When that you know at two a.m. the property manager says like the building's on fire, you're getting the call, not you just being passively going, hey, where's my check? So mm-hmm. I think right now when everything's going up, it looks really good and easy to be the GP. But there's a lot of property manager calls. There's a lot of strategy you're doing. There's a lot. Like there's, you're managing occupancy, renovations, like I'm not the most handy person, but I really strive and making sure my team is doing the right things at the right time and just following up. Like that's my skill set as the asset manager is making sure I'm following up with the business plan and making sure we're executing mm-hmm. because I know I have an obligation to my investors to pay them. Not, it's not me. It's not anyone else. Cause anyone can get an acquisition fee and then just peace out. But for me, it's more of like, are we hitting our values, uh, in terms of rents, other income, managing expenses, and making sure we're executing every day. Hmm. Gotcha. How did you get into the syndication space? Yeah. You already covered that sort of, but is that always what you've wanted to do when it comes to real estate? Because I know you mentioned you had two single families at one point. So, Or do you still have those single families? I, I got out because uh, I, I, I like to – I view real estate as buy and hold because there's a ton of work to get to close – uh, and in multifamily, you have 60 to 75 days, maybe even longer if it's a loan assumption. Uh, but it's a ton of work on the front end. I mean, you guys are flipping a house and every time I see you guys, you're like another great day at work. So it's, it's a ton of work on the front end. And once you get it operating, it should print cash. So for me, it's, I'd rather hold it and continue to like tweak strategy of if we implement a move in fee instead of a security deposit, that five hundred dollars times times total units divided by a uh, cap rate, that's how much the property increases. Versus, I'm not competing with comps in the area. So, for me, it's just I didn't. It's not didn't have to be. It wasn't necessarily syndication. It was more of multifamily because I realized when I did two single families, I was a professional flashlight holder to my dad, and I <laughs> I can't fix anything. I, I mean, I remember Michigan raking 27 bags of leaves going, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Versus like multifamily, call the broker, develop relationships with partners. Like I just, whatever I was willing, I was willing to do everything. Like I underwrote two, every deal in my target markets in Knoxville, Nashville, Lexington, Kentucky, Huntsville, just so I can know the market ins and outs. And I took that mentality just all the way through the last three years, and now we're up to 600 doors and continuing to scale and have a lot of great partners that, like I said, I wouldn't be here without them. So I'm just, like, incredibly thankful. Uh, but, like, syndication is just a tool. And if I would recommend anyone who's listening, work for free for someone else so that you get the experience to then scale and do it yourself because – if you try to do it yourself on the first at bat, you have so many blind spots and it's terrifying. And I just don't want anyone to like lose money. But if you have, if you seek to serve, you'll get paid tenfold. And like three years is just working with a great group mm-hmm. and a lot of great partners. And 
we've only just started, so it's, and I'm turning 31 next week, so with with like the syndications, um, is, is it a is it an animal to where you basically form a group and then that group says, "Hey, we did this well together. Let's all start finding new deals and then stay together." Uh, you know, is like yeah. the same the same group of people, or is it always changing? So with syndications, it just depends on the different groups and what everyone's goals is. So when I did my 36 unit, when we started off, I worked with a local KP who wanted, who continues and we're still looking at a lot of deals together versus the other partners I had are in more in East Tennessee, Johnson City. They started a property management company. They pivoted their thesis to uh, RV and mobile home parks, which is fine, but it's more of an open relationship in terms of like, it's open relationship, but you have to be transparent and honest. So like the group I did with a deal with in Columbia, Tennessee here, as I continue to grow and scale, they're not, the other partners aren't as involved, but my local KP key principles here. But then also I'm doing deals in Denver where my local KP doesn't really want to do deals in Denver. So you have to be very transparent and honest of what you're working on and just like setting that expectation of like, what do you want? And I, that's why I just, like, have that. And I think the book Traction is, like, super important because you just reset your quarterly priorities every quarter. And then I share that with my partners on all my deals to be like, this is the goal. Because I just want to make sure as many people, like, my biggest thing this quarter was hire an analyst. I didn't matter where, if it was local, international, whatever. But I told absolutely everyone. And people, like, applied and then or texted me but never got back to me. And so my focus was getting that analyst, and I told all of my partners that. And now because of that, it's mid-November. We just hired one, very excited, doing a great job. And and it's just the more you tell people and the more transparent you are, the more it sets expectations. And I think just in real estate and any other business, that's super important and critical. And if you just kind of hide – I mean, real estate's a very small market. If you mess up or aren't honest – word spreads very quickly yeah. people don't want to do business with you absolutely can can it ever happen to where uh say you have two groups that you maybe bounce back and forth with working and to where there's one deal and you find that both the groups you work with are going after it and so now you're like okay which group do i go with uh is that possible yeah. I'm sure it's possible. I feel like just like a love child and it's like divorce. <laughs> You're a divorced parent. Yeah, <laughs> like it seems wild. But it's such, I mean, there's different expectations, right? So like if I'm doing a deal in Nashville, I know the three guys, like the, like my KP is probably going to be involved and I know a couple other investors. But like my friends that I'm doing deals with in Denver, they want to be in Nashville, but they're not actively pursuing it. Uh, and they talk about wanting to be in Nashville, but it's just like they're not quite there yet because they have a hot streak in Denver. Hmm. So I think it's just like constantly – it's just communication, right? Like what are we looking for? What are we doing? But like there's been deals where people have asked to partner with me that I've already passed on because I've seen it already. Yeah. So it just – it depends. I think it's just like so just be very transparent and like talk to – because like when I put my 36 unit, I was working with a group and I was like, hey, can I pursue this opportunity – because I know I'm working for you guys and I want to be very transparent because I don't want to buy something and then be like, hey, what is this? So I asked permission to submit. It worked. Deal's going great. Doubled doubled rents in 18 months. Shout out to the market. 
Um, but I mean, we're renovating, so I don't want to be like, oh yeah, doubled rent because market went up. No, we're renovating. We're taking care of our residents and making sure it's a safe, livable space for our community. So you're doing like value add to every deal you get. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I would love to be in an institutional where three to four percent is good enough for cash on cash. But we always look to add value, and I think just a lot mm-hmm. of multifamily people ignore the other income because I we get anywhere from seven to twelve percent of our total income from other income because everyone talks about the rent growth and everything else. But there's a lot of other factors of like putting a move-in fee instead of a security deposit or pet mm. fees, admin fees. I mean, late fees come with it, but th- all of those things count towards your profitability at NOI, and that's the one number everyone in commercial real estate looks at. So okay. a very critical piece. The net operating income? Yep. That's the number? Okay. Yeah, they call it the line, so there's people who talk about above the line, below the line. Net operating income is the one thing we look at. I mean, we did this for our property. We did... Instead of doing a security deposit, we did $500 move-in fees. Uh, so that times three, 36 units divided by a five and a half, five cap was like, I think another three, $400,000 in value we added by just that one implementation. So that's the stuff where it gets me excited of offering tech packages, parking, whatever. Uh, we want to make sure it's fair to the resident. We're not just, don't want to nickel and dime them, but we're following what's going on in the market versus just nickel and diming our residents because we realize their homes for our residents so we don't want to mess with their homes and we just want to be as transparent as possible with them gotcha um when it comes to like finding these deals since you're renovating them they have to be vacant correct no we most of ours are generally like 90 percent occupied plus when you buy them yeah okay so we we just realize like in multifamily, it's not as it's not as fast of a game Right, so for our 36 unit, uh, the first month we had no no one move out. The second month we had six leases expire, and only two people moved out, and they took the renewal. Hmm. Um, so we we shoot to renovate two to three units per month, super low conservative, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just manageable for a property management team because we use third party property managers, unless they have like a dedicated GC team, which most don't, and if you do, you're gonna pay a lot. Uh, so just be careful when you're budgeting and setting that expectation with your property management, but we look for two to three turns per month. And we just know, cause if you do that, that's 24 units a year conservatively. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it doesn't have to be vacant, but we just, we send 60, 90 day, uh, renewal notices for our residents. And it's like, uh, depending on the lift, right. We've had somewhere where it's like, Hey, you know, this property's going to market rate because we've took the leave, the right actions for it but it just it just every property is different so it just depends on your strategy but there's only been maybe one or two buildings that were vacant distressed that we've taken over and done really well but it's a process i was gonna say what's that look like if you buy a vacant property that's in pretty bad shape or do you even not look at those like if you've got uh, a lot of value add that needs to be done yeah we did one that was half occupied and rents were like average four hundred dollars wow yeah I mean, it's a good deal, but I think the biggest thing is, do you have the team capable to execute? Because if I had to write the deal and go, man, year one, 90% occupancy, great. But in reality, I don't have the GC or the construction or the team members to do it. It doesn't matter what I put on a spreadsheet because it's not going to happen. So Mm -hmm. I think it's just making sure you have that team that can execute to that capacity and I think don't use single-family people for multifamily deals because apartment renovations are very 
may seem on paper is the same, but very different, and it's just a lot bigger scale. So I think we turned as 50 units, or no, 48 units at the time, and we did 37 in four or five months. But it's just we it took a time to get out of the gate, but you just got to have the GC team in place to make sure you can execute that. So hmm. that's why it's like it's a, I key on this a ton it's with my partners and the team members we have. We wouldn't I wouldn't be here without them. So gotcha. Wait, I, I have to follow up with a question. This might be really obvious. So when you guys go into one of these, uh, just to, like one of the actual rooms, um, and you need to renovate it. Are you saying you wait until someone moves out and then you go in? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so when we do our due diligence, when we do our due diligence, we look at every single unit. Take a picture of the door, wide lens on the iPhone, like half out, and just living room, kitchen, bedroom, bathroom. Because we want to we want to take an inventory of everything we need to budget for. Because on multifamily side, if you do like 12, 10 to 12 grand a door, that should cover a lot of your interior, like if anything can happen on the interiors, but that's not including parking lot, roofs, windows, which are always the last thing to get renovated. But going in, we know what every single unit looks like, unless it's like a COVID situation or life matter, but uh, which you smell a lot. You'll, you'll, you'll never forget the smells of those Google photos in that photo album. Yeah. But I, we know what to expect in every unit, and then we tell our property managers to do a 30-day inspection before so we can start lining up appliances because that's, like, the first thing that drives me nuts is, like, we take a vacant unit, and then it takes a week to go into it, and then we take two weeks to renovate it, and it's, like, delays and stuff happen. So it's, like, this could have been done in two to three weeks, but now it's two months. Are, are, do you know, are your crews that are going in to do all that work, are they – are they going to the same um, place, basically, as all the uh, residential remodel work being done? Like, because you're, I, I guess part of my question is this, or maybe it's two-part, is because you have, um, you know, hey, I'm not going to go buy one dishwasher for this house I'm doing. It's, hey, I have 36 dishwashers I need. Oh, yeah. Like, is there a bulk discount, or? It can be. It depends, like, right, if it's a vacant building, we're not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to buy them all at once, but at the same time, we're not going to, uh, at the same time, we're not going to go through and buy 36 all up front because like, say the floors are messed up and stuff like that. So I think it just depends on sizing up and say you buy 36 dishwashers and then everyone renews at a higher rent and you're like, cool. Now I have 36 dishwashers. Just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, treat it ad hoc. But if you could plan for the, like, Hey, we have four turns. We need four appliances. Uh, streamline it that way. Plus, because now you have to deal with storage, and people can run off with that. So, risk mitigation. Hmm. Gotcha. Um, when you first branched out onto your like off on your own, when it comes to multifamily, what was your first deal? And what did that look like? So the first deal we did was a seventeen million dollar deal in Denver, and once again, uh, I'm going to say this. I was the low man on the totem pole on our GP team. So always lead with value. Um, so my buddy, Nick Amaluxen, I've been friends with for three years. I tell him I'm on my own. He goes, perfect. We have a deal f- in Denver. And I go, perfect. I know nothing about Denver. <laughs> uh, but I did all my homework on it. I underwrote the deal myself because I just I take pride in knowing my numbers and telling my investors like the worst case scenario. And we've talked about it. 
I sell my investors the worst case scenario because in multifamily, everyone's deals can look good when we increase rents and do all this stuff. But my accounting CPA background is like when the world fails, what happens? And look at all the great, like Ray Dalio, Howard Marks, all of them preach, cover your downside risk. So we address that on the front end. Um, so a $17 million deal, 61 units, downtown Denver, two properties. Uh, 20 units was a mom and pop owner. Uh, the 41, they actually fully renovated the property, but they had a floating interest rate. And, uh, you know, it being November 18th and to the 10 years at almost 4%, they're like, they couldn't handle the increase in the interest rate. So they had to just sell and get rid of it. So hmm. bundled it together, two loans, um, the team. And I, what really, you know, drew me to the team is they already, their thesis was matched mine of buying really good markets. Like they buy in Los Angeles, downtown Denver and Austin, Texas. I think we would all settle for all three of those markets if we could buy stuff. Um, but, and they already had 200 units in the market. So for me is I get to be a role player on an all-star team and just continue to help them grow and scale. So raise money, but more importantly, my role was going to be asset management and just really make sure just my perspective because the Nick was doing is doing a ton. And Nick, if you're listening, I'm here to help you work less, not more. Uh, and that's the thing. Just lead with value. My perspective, I have a VA who does helps with all of my systems for my asset management. And I just said, hey, I will help build the systems for your team. Uh, so we did that deal. And then we closed an eight eight million dollar deal cash just due to shout out to a 1031 investor in denver um and now a we're single working. investor yeah they really? prospectively bought land in florida a while ago and had a seven million dollar 1031 wow yeah so <laughs> i mean that's the thing right like i couldn't have wrote on a goal sheet find a 10 seven million dollar investor who's looking to 1031 yeah. but it's just like keep putting yourself with good people and do good deals and good things will happen uh and i still like you know, it's, we're doing our third deal together. I underwrite every deal. I'm very honest. Uh, I'm very, we don't have time to waste, but I just want to make sure that, hey, have we thought of all of these risks? Uh, just being to Denver twice, there's, the insurance is still like almost $300 a door. Low taxes compared to Austin. Top, I mean, everyone's moving there. The median household income's averaging $100,000. So it's wow. like, yeah, not... Not poor people in Denver. Hmm. So, and I was telling an investor, it's like a Class C is Den in Denver is very different than a Class C in Detroit. We'll say so. Hmm. A lot of white collar jobs and very educated. So, the more educated, the more white collar jobs, the higher probability they pay because they're educated. They have good jobs. We look at COVID. Everyone could work from home, and it's a little bit different of a market in terms of like studios and one beds. But I look for strong market fundamentals before I ever look at a property. Got to have population growth. Got to have good job growth. Got to be landlord friendly. Uh, I know Denver's blue, but it's better than Austin <laughs> in terms of property rights and just like very favorable to do business in. So once the, all those checks, that just helps the trajectory of your property because it's if those fundamentals, people go where jobs are. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of jobs in Denver's to be had and people just, I mean, Denver's great. If I had to say on Denver, I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised LA was on that list. Honestly, so very surprised by that. Well, uh, the the key principle is the writer of Family Guy, Mark Hentiman, and he started investing in LA just because of his writing job and started with a duplex in 1999 and kind of scaled. Um, mm. So there's some, I mean, everyone talks about California and the LA and all that stuff, but uh, 
if you look at it, it may not cash flow as much, but appreciation is through the roof. But like I said, it's just different strategies. I mean, I, I wouldn't invest in LA, uh, just for me personally, but Denver's been great and their thesis has proved out. I mean, they've been doing it since 1999 track, great track, excuse me, great track record, never lost money. And, um, every deal I've underwrote, I've, I've backed and helped the team. And also I'm still looking for my own deals in Tennessee and Nashville, great markets, uh, Northern Alabama, uh, North Carolina, been peeking into more and more. But for me in the past three months, I've been working on becoming like the CEO of my business. Cause in the last, I've just been underwriter, just grinder. And right now it's like, all right, getting traction. And I've, you know, two, two and a half team members looking to continue to scale. And I'm just getting boots in the ground in the markets I want to be in to help to scale that faster. Cause you can do it. You can do a lot by yourself, but what's the point if you're just buying a new job every single time? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Where are you finding majority of these deals? Word of mouth or brokers, brokers, brokers. So 94% Bo Beery has a wonderful book on, I think it's real multifamily investors who dominate. 94% of all multifamily deals over 75 units are worth a broker. Hmm. And so I call brokers every three weeks for the last three years. And so even I was on Twitter and someone was like, wait, brokers call you or answer your call? I go, well, yeah, I've talked to them a lot. <laughs> and so I think it's important that like when you set your goals and if you're like starting off, it's like if you call three investors a week, you will learn way more than listening to a podcast or taking like trying to do something because it's your network. So after this podcast, call like two people who are a multifamily or whatever you want to do. Cause I've just seen a lot of people stall out, especially with everything going on and news headlines and the world's at world war three interest rates rising. <laughs> like there's still deals to be had and we're still working on a lot of stuff. And we talked about this off mic. The world isn't ending cycles are normal. What's up goes down. What's down goes up. Mm-hmm. And I think just reading like, Mastering the market cycles with Howard Marks. He says that all the time, and he made a ton of money in 0809. And he's one of like the top five investors I like follow. So there's always opportunities. I think it's very lazy to just say I'm pencils down because if you're still calling brokers, you're going to be on top of the list. And if, even if you don't buy it, as long as you're offering and being transparent with them, that'll be helpful mm-hmm. for you and your career. So right now, super important to get market share of attention. Hmm. When it comes to like talking to a broker and getting deals from a broker, is that relationship the same as it would be with, say, us who could go find a real estate agent and say, hey, go find me a single family home? Or how does that differentiate? Yeah. So the brokers in multifamily, they develop the rapport with the sellers because their objective is to get whatever the seller wants in terms of price. But also right now with things rates being higher, there's a lot different. Hey, can we get this price? So you haven't seen a lot of the call for offers, but uh, a broker is representing you as well. So in multifamily, it's generally the listing agent will get both sides versus mm-hmm. single family. It's there's a buyer and a seller agent meeting. Generally, the listing agent controls the lion's share. And so that if that broker doesn't get along with you, you're not getting that deal. Mm-hmm. There's like, because you could put the highest there. I've talked to so many brokers and they're like, someone paid... 500 half a mil over at or over the highest the set like over everyone but they never toured the property i've never talked to them i never heard of them i have no idea of their experience i don't know who they are mm-hmm. so i'm not the probability of them closing at that price is very low hmm. versus 
hey, Mike, you've talked to me the whole time. I mean, I've had brokers like, Mike, I know you. I like you. I trust you. Like, shake handshake agreements. Like, let's get this done. Uh, I mean, we use contracts, but it's just yeah. like I stick to my word and execute. And now I'm getting off-market opportunities just given where we are. So, hmm. um, But I'm just talking to all the brokers from the biggest ones to the smallest ones because you never know who's going to have the opportunity. Who knows? They may be an investor. You never know. And opportunities are like 11 unit, a 20 unit, 100 unit, 200 units. The the multifamily space is small, and they all the brokers talk. So if you don't execute, you're on the blacklist. So and I, I think it's important if you're like, oh, I want to do this, and I don't know how, add value to someone else because I I leverage my experience from helping other groups and underwriting deals for them and my CPA background. So. Um, just double down on what you're good at and just help other groups and don't ask them. This is my biggest, my biggest ask. Don't go, how can I help you? Because now you just gave me another job and I'm going to ignore that message. And so is <laughs> everyone else in this industry. So like if they're slacking on social media or want get write a blog post and give it to them. I did that. I had underwrote deals for free. I did anything I could. So just like lead with value and you'll get paid tenfold. I promise. It's a good quote. I like that quote a lot. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it took three years of, and it's just like, it, you know, this isn't the wholesale. This isn't like you're building equity and you're building a 10 year business. So like, relax, just relax. It'll take time. <laughs> sure. Um, how do broker dumb question, but how do brokers get paid? Like, are they, what kind of commission do they usually see per deal or is it even a commission? What does that look like? Yeah, they get commission on, and it depends on a lot of factors of just like the size of the deal. It's not like brokers getting a 6% on a $40 million <laughs> yeah, deal. Yeah. We would never hear from them again. Yeah. But um, it ranges based on number of units and the size and just negotiation. But um, as the deals get bigger, the commission goes down. Um, I've seen for smaller ones about 6%. Um, but then as it grows and scales, but that's, it's not like it goes directly to them. It goes to the house. There's closing costs. There's other co-brokers on it. Cause they, it's like a team sport with them as well. They got mm. their, their lead, their analysts, like they got, they got overhead too. Cause a broker's calling a hundred. And this is why I tell people like who want, like, I'm going to do an off market campaign to get that 6% chance that someone will give me a deal. And I go, Oh, how many people are you calling a hundred people a day? Do you have the infrastructure to do mailers? Like, I'm like, are you willing to wait two years to get a deal in multifamily? Because, like, you have to build rapport with the owners. You have to convince them to sell. You have to beat a broker. And it's it's just, it's a lot of work. And I, I just think people generally who start multifamily have a job and family and do all this stuff. And it's like, just build really good rapports with brokers if you want to find deals and get good partners. Um, because you'll build the track record with your with your partners, and it, it and we all say dumb stuff when we start, and that's okay. But as long as you show progress, I mean, I've had brokers laugh at me, going, "That was your offer? Like, what the heck? I would I would buy it for that much." I'm like, "Yeah, I guess I I won't do that again." <laughs> but I still follow up with the brokers and just keep building rapport because they're like, "Yeah, that was stupid, but guess what? We're in sales, and you just got to keep going." And that's coming from an accountant who had zero sales experience. So it's just like, it's a relationship game and I'm just very transparent. I'm not like, here's the number, but I'm just like, Hey, this isn't the deal for me because brokers know the market and they have an obligation to invest to their seller to get whatever number that the seller is looking for. Gotcha. 
What are you actively working on right now? I'm working on, I mean, I, uh, onboarding our analyst. Uh, we're working on a deal in Denver. Uh, if it's a, it's a 506 piece, so I can't talk about it yet. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm just right now just recap, uh, you know, with the move to Nashville uh, three, four months ago, just really getting settled. Uh, and right now, my biggest thing is onboarding my analyst. Uh, I had a YouTube page that was doing well, but I kind of fell off. But I'm getting back traction to get more marketing. Because mm-hmm. um, I, t- I tell people, you can make money finding the deal, funding the deal, or managing the deal. Based on my background, I took the path of hardest resistance. And I'm like, I will make money managing the deal. Not in terms of property management, asset management. And then I was like, I will find the deals. And now I need to be able to fund the deals. So I'm building on my investor basis um just to make sure that when i do find deals despite what happens i have liquidity to go in um and be able to fund the raise the deal mm-hmm. because last thing you want to do is submit an offer and you don't have enough EM- emd and you're like oh shoot <laughs> yeah about that <laughs> so yeah. it's just like building or continue to build relationships and uh i recently joined GoBundance. A uh, great group of mastermind, and it's just been opening my eyes of just like possibilities, and just hearing people like Anthony Tolliver, who's played twelve years in the NBA, to people all across the country who are just looking to scale their businesses and grow as well. So it's been cool to just mastermind network, and I just my goal next year is to ten x what I've done in terms of just like running it and managing it, and you know I'm like in my head I'm three hires away from being delegated out, still involved, but more managing our multifamily acquisitions, asset management, and fundraising efforts. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, so you alluded to it a little bit, like a year from now to 10x everything. Uh, what would you say, like your five years from now, where do you want to be 10 years? 10 years, you're 31? Yep. Yeah. I get, Yeah, where do you want to be? Yeah, 10 years Shredded from now. and rich. No, I'm just Let's kidding. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Well, for those who think God is not a video, because, uh, no. But, uh, but in all honesty, my goal is $100 million a year in acquisitions. And I, I have no ego to be like, if I'm the top dog, I don't care. If we're buying good deals and making everyone money, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I see myself eventually just delegating that. I mean, I think I did my three-year vision and it's a hundred million a year in acquisitions. Uh, it's a asset uh, acquisitions manager, an analyst, uh, headquartered in Nashville, uh, asset manager, an associate under them, and then investor relations. Uh, probably want to launch two funds in the Nashville MSA and opportun- just opportunities to have that dry capital and powder. Um, yeah, and I just I I. My biggest thing is I just even though since I I mean I haven't lived in Nashville very long I just want to make an impact in our community. Uh, if it, Nashville feels home, I know a lot of good people like Tyler Cobble, you guys just like it's a it's a fun group and I think just like transplanting a lot like in Chicago and being in Detroit like this this feels like home and so I just want to make sure I'm like helping, like just giving a shit and with our community and our investors it's like that's why we're here riffing and it's just. Hmm. I really want to make an impact for the long term. And like, even my, I was like journaling today. I would love to have like a startup hub to help high schoolers be like, oh, this is real estate. Like, you can make 10 grand on a wholesale fee. You don't have because, to go to college. <laughs> no, yeah. And yeah. I, and I mean, I went and I don't regret it. And I'm like pro college, but it's like, you can make money. Like, even I was thinking today, it's like someone has to sell 
you know, to make like a decent wage, it's like you'd have to make two to four, like four grand a month. And people are like, I have to get a job. And it's like, you don't have to get a job. That's like some people's wholesale fee is like four. Like if you did a wholesale fee for your like, a small wholesale fee. That's a yeah. very small. Like you guys were like, I would, I would buy all of your eight grand wholesale fees. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, you don't have to get a job. You can be an entrepreneur. And I, and I think like, People are like, you're born with it. And I was like, I wasn't born with it. I had no idea. But just seeing the stuff, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I did a screen printing business in college, and I'm like, oh, we did 20 grand in sales in nine months with no marketing. Were we all presidents of all our student orgs and did a 500 shirt order a weekend for Central Michigan? Absolutely. Was it ideal? No. But like, off a $900 press, we did it. And I was like, oh, this is cool, turning nothing into something. Mm-hmm. So I just want to set that example to like the student, like, High schoolers, just like financial literacy, it's just like, I, I mean, everyone talks about how to not pay taxes, but it's like I was with my buddy today, and as an investor, I took him, I bought lunch, and I go, dude, this is a, I'm writing this off. And he's like, what does he mean? And I go, and he's a CPA. And I'm like, he's like, why? how are you writing this <laughs> off? I go, because I'm taking an investor out to lunch so you can invest in my next deal and like get, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just like little stuff like that, and I'm not saying – don't illegally just write off everything, right? But these are the little nuances of like owning a business that you can do, mm-hmm. and, and that nobody you, teaches you that. Like you're nobody, saying, nobody. Even <laughs> I'm a CPA, and it wasn't like here's how to start a business to write stuff off. It was literally like, hey, do you want to understand how to do accounting for financial derivatives? And I'm like, no, I could care less. Like let, let's do an intro course in high school, give everyone an LLC when they graduate or turn 18. And be like, here's how you can make money. And guess what? If you fail at 18, guess what? You have the experience and know-how to continue to learn, grow, and school. Like, look at Adam Newman from WeWork. Guy lost tons of money. And now he just got $350 million to raise a fund to buy apartments. Hmm. So, like, people fail, but it's just like you get the opportunity to... It's like, don't give up. So, Interesting. Do you see that as, like, like just trying to see your vision with that, as, like, an education company or... As an education, like, do you see that from an educational standpoint or more of, like, something just to help them get started in a business? Like, would you want to actually turn this into an education business to where you can help kids out of high school? I'd rather, yeah, yeah, I'd rather just, like, partner with schools to be, like, I will help, like, whether it be, like, us. I haven't built it out yet, but, I like, I would want to partner with schools, like, I'll teach for not, because, like, all my family are teachers. They don't get paid anything. And with all the school stuff going on, it's, like, nuts so it's just like if i can help like one like literally i i um one of our investors like i want my son to intern with and he's 14 years old and he's like i'm gonna start an amazon store i go great and i'm gonna text him tomorrow morning and go hey how's that amazon store because he told me to get a sales number by this date when i was 14 i was like i'm gonna get a job playing and i'm playing call of duty till 2 a.m like an insane person <laughs> drinking mountain dew and stuff and it's like if i can if i could have the like vision to be like i'm gonna create an amazon store and that 14 at 24 he's gonna have it figured out yeah imagine at 18 yeah like i'm 30 and i'm like it took me five years to realize i hate accounting even though my professor my my favorite professor was like i'm like will i be good at public accounting and she laughed at me and goes no you're insane and that's just my person because you're like you started a business you did this you passed the cpa exam like you don't fit the mold but it's like don't fight that double down on that and so it's like even for me it's like people like you under you can underwrite you like people 
you like systems? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, hopefully I'm a stand-up comedian <laughs> in a couple <laughs> in a couple years. But it's just like, you know, just lean into who you are and be that authentic self. And that, I mean, I, and I was talking to my buddy today. He's like, no one believed in you. My ex-girlfriend mm. was just like, you need to buy our house. Uh, you need to live on a, we need to live on the lake with her parents and like all like this huge vision of like, I'm like, but I can make a couple hundred bucks on a rental house and we do a couple of those. We're set. And it was just like, it wasn't a fit. My best friend was like, Hey, Oh eight, Oh nine. Look what happened. You shouldn't buy real estate. Like no one was just like, you sh-. my mom cried in a bad way. And it was like, you're going to lose all of your money on your first rental property. So like everyone told me, no. Mm-hmm. That's why I moved to Damn. Chicago and then Tennessee, and it's just like, oh, I'm not in the right rooms. Hmm. So it's just like, be your authentic self. If you need to change scenery, if you need to talk to me or any of these guys, we will definitely help you on your journey because it's not like we're all like, golly, I figured it out. And even oh. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I think the only reason I think we know anything is from other people. Like, yeah. we don't just pick up knowledge randomly. You know, even from books, we don't just read. I mean, a lot of knowledge comes from books, but most of our knowledge comes from other people telling us things or ex- telling us their experiences that they've had or their failures, you know? Yeah. And I think, too, like, you know your favorite book? Follow up with that author. A lot of the times they give emails and phone numbers, and because they go, no one will take the time to call. Yeah. So, so it's like, they're giving you the answer, and they're like, no one will call me. Hmm. And it's just like, Give them a call. Be like, write them a note. Thank you. Like, I apply. And the thing is, don't just read it. Apply it. My Like, one of my students I was working with, because I work for, I'm a coach in an education company, I go, you can't talk to me until you call 50 brokers. It's been four Hmm. weeks. Nothing yet? Nothing yet. Huh. I gave him a challenge. I go, call. And I said, I'm like, pick a number. He said, uh, 10 people. And And they don't have to all be brokers, but investors, property managers, someone. He made it nine days. For me, it was, I like took it to heart and I, and I'm not perfect now. I'm like slowing down and trying to you know, slowing down to speed up. But it's like, if you don't have a lead measure of what to do, find that and execute that on every day. Like I knew when I first started and had a W2 and I was working 10 to 2 AM on this, a good week was me underwriting one deal, recording one podcast and writing one blog. If you talk to like any other investor who's starting off, they're like, I'm just trying to survive tomorrow and I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. So like take that time to be like, well, if I want to deal, what do I need to do? I need to talk to X amount of people. Like for me, it's like if I talk to 10 brokers a day, three of them will answer and I'll generally get three deals to underwrite. I know if I get underwrite 80 deals, that's when I'll probably get one. Hmm. And so I've talked to people like, I underwrote 25 deals and I haven't gotten one. I go, good keep going <laughs> yeah so it's just like we want this instant gratification and just it won't happen but just be the last man standing and you'll get your call up and you'll get a deal huh so what would be i mean we that's kind of this almost answered the question but say you're talking to me and i'm coming to you saying hey i've never done this before what should i do right now how do i start with no experience call it what what i have now I flipped a couple houses, single family stuff, no multifamily experience. Okay. How do I go how do I go about starting my multifamily journey? Yeah. So I would say like what are you good at? Like in terms of do you like underwriting deals? Do you like managing the deals? Do you like do you have a big network of investors? 
whatever you want to and i always reverse because everyone's like i'm really like i try to run away of like being the excel guy and guess what it was stupid <laughs> i don't have a book of investors i'm really good with excel and so i just like double down on that so it's like find that path to get into the game or even just send an intro hey i know someone who you're a flipper i know several flippers who have a huge tax bill in 2023 coming mm. or for 2022 and need a cost seg and don't have no idea what a cost seg is. Mike, here's a group of invest like guys. Can you talk to them? And they'll love to be on your deal. If you do that, I'll probably carve you in on the deal. If you're really good at underwriting or like you love Excel and you have no idea, volunteer for a group for free. If you want to be a property manager, God bless you. But Guess what? You'll learn how to do all the ins and outs that no one is willing to do. It's a longer path, but you can do it. So, like, hmm. whatever resonates with you, do that thing. Because, like, I tried to be the investor relation person with no exp- with no deep pockets. Um, like I said, mom was a teacher, like, not making a ton of money. And so it's just, like, you have to double down on what you're good at. So. Gotcha. And if you find like if you found a multifamily deal and I'm like, I have this and I have no idea how to underwrite it, I'm gonna carve you in on the deal. Now is everyone gonna do that? Not necessarily. You have to trust the person, but um just do what you're good at and like doing and do that for someone else and reciprocity will take care of itself. Gotcha. That's cool. That is cool. You're cool. Well, so I mean, one thought I had was Mike, like for you, you know. I, for the listeners, um, this podcast, we're recording it right after a big meeting we just had with probably 30 uh, people uh, mm-hmm. from wholesalers, flippers, uh, hard money lenders. For you, when you're sitting in that meeting, um, and it's... I feel really old in that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and basically everyone in there, it seems like they're mostly in the residential side. When you're... When you're sitting in that meeting, are you thinking, guys, you're working so hard? Um, I tell you guys that every I mean, I was gonna every, say every month. I tell you guys every time you see us. <laughs> yeah, I like the the morale of you guys every month seeing the flip. I mean, you guys are doing great with it, right? I've seen the content, I've seen the flip. It's yeah. looking great, but just like the the part where like still grinding, and I resonate that with because I did two things. I was raking twenty seven bags of leaves. I go, you guys haven't seen me put on work gloves or boots. I don't own boots anymore, but I I see like just the the wholesalers and I and like what I'm not like, going to be a Grant Cardone and be like, don't buy thirty units or you suck. We all have to get our start. Uh, but just seeing being in the room of res like even Samant or a good friend of ours is like, I'm going to multifamily full time. I'm like, welcome to the club, man, because it's like. The single family arm is just everyone like you guys. We're gonna do this flip. Two months later, we contracted it out. I'm like, good because I think a lot of people don't know what leverage is and don't believe in it. So like leverage, everyone points to money. It's like, well, yeah, you have all this money. I'm like, I didn't have a ton of money. VAs cost five dollars an hour, and and I think your time for the listener is worth more than five an hour. Uh, Instacart is like a hundred bucks a month. Groceries a little more expensive gets delivered. I am literally point one mile from a Kroger walking, but the time for me to do it to then come back, think of all the groceries I need. Even if I wrote it down, it's like that's not worth my time. That is not my highest and best use of time. So, uh, just delegate all the stuff that doesn't matter, that doesn't make you money or happy. Um, so there's leverage for money. 
There's leverage with people. There's leverage with machine. And we, I think, kind of talked about it, branding. That's why you guys are doing this, so more people can listen, invest, scale, grow. That's why I'm doing the YouTube, to get more investors. And even um, my buddy said, the average check for a Grant Cardone investor is $400,000. And I think the average one for, like, our quantum and our team is, like, 130. What's the difference? Everyone knows who Grant Cardone is. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's like you have to create leverage in your life or else you will not scale and you will not be successful. So obviously for the financial side, it's like you got to get, you got to make money. Like I hired a VA last year and it was too soon, but I was, it's kind of like, I call it like the fat tax of like, if I'm not giving my VA enough to do, I'm doing too much work. And so even for my 36 unit, it took me an hour, four hour to five hours a week down to one and it's showing up to the meeting. So create that leverage, um, and I think it's just like – I think in single family and residential, you're willing to do more because you think I'm hot shit and I can do everything. But I challenge you to be like, oh, I want to be the dumbest person on my team and scale the hell out of it, and you will make a lot more money faster than just slaving away at this stuff. I mean, you guys know with the contractors, how much, how much happier is your life by being like, oh, I don't have to do this every day. Yeah, uh, we've had a really. Uh, I I'm not going to disagree with you at all because that's where we're at. Except because we're in a new city and we don't have a rolodex full of uh, proven contractors, we're having to sort through them, which has been a uh, a, a learning opportunity. <laughs> yes, it's been a, it's been a great exactly opportunity. But that's yeah. right. You didn't leverage yeah. your network, right? Like if you guys came to me four months ago, I mean, obviously we just met. But leverage your network to leverage the people who know the contractors mm-hmm. in that area. So then guess what? You guys save time and money and experience. But, you know, I mean, I was raking 27 bags of leaves. Like, you don't know until you know. So I think it just, like, leverage your networks more. And for the, even the listeners, if you have no idea how to do real estate, leverage your – there's someone in your world that knows what to do and how to do it. And like you said about the books, like, reach out to them. Like, I've literally – some of the people that I – call it put on a pedestal mentors whatever if you just reach out to them i personally have done it most of the time they'll get back to you and they'll have some sort of information to give whether it's a book or they're just giving you the direct answer that you're looking for just reach out to the people that you want to learn from and the biggest thing i've seen from you guys is when you first started what four months ago to literally the last two months you're like i met you started with we have this deal and we're doing it to the last two months you've been I I met this person and they taught me X. Yes. I met this person and they're doing Y. Like you've you guys and it's not it's not bragging. It's like you guys are you get juice from just like holy cow what why were we doing it this way for so long? Yeah. And so it's like why bang your head through the wall when I can just open the door for you? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> And I just laugh at other investors because they're like they'll keep punching the wall. I'm like I'm in my car out the door. We're we're out of here. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Path I mean, of least resistance. Yeah, I feel like we could talk about that. Like our first deals in Oregon, it was like from what we learned from doing those deals, and then to the point of where we are now, it was like going into it like we're gonna do everything ourselves, and 
And they said it very proudfully. They were like, "We're this is our flip. We're doing it." I think at the time the reason I speaking for myself, it was actually enjoyable, and I still think it is fun to do. But if our goal is to scale it as a business, oh, I'm, o- I'm, not- I'm 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 over that. Yeah, no, it's the same <laughs> here. Like I'll speak to it now, but during the time, but I enjoyed key word it. on that, right? It's a business. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. No, this I isn't. We're cleaning out the garden. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where it comes to. Yeah. Like we might enjoy doing something, but if it's going to scale quicker and it's going to grow by not doing that, then that's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. It's like you realized your highest and best use of time is not painting or it's putting each other on the shoulders to patch walls and do all the crazy <laughs> stuff you guys were doing. Like, like, and that's the thing is like once you get that leverage, that a little bit of leverage. Like, I'll never forget when I got, like, AP credit in college, and I got, I got three credits by not doing anything. <laughs> that relief. Like, when that VA does that task perfectly the first time, and they're not going to, so I don't want to be like, they're perfect. But they can mess up that task ten times before you do it once correctly. Think of that much leverage. Like, I have my VA do a weekly report. She funnels all my deals and checks, like, the median income. So, like, when I open my project management tool, Asana, I know exactly what I need to underwrite, and I know, my analyst knows exactly what to underwrite, and everyone knows what to do without me telling them. Then hmm. that's where it's like, oh, this is sweet. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like even tomorrow, right? Saturday, what do you like? I have to call investors, but it's like you guys are like, even before the call, we're like, yep, we got to schedule this contractor. Is it this per hour or this? What are they doing? It's like, imagine if someone just showed up and was like, run it. Mm hmm. And I'm not, I mean, and you guys are very early. On, we're all very early on in our career and we're figuring it out. But like, even if it's not having to go grocery shopping, I, I get anxiety grocery yeah. shopping. Hmm. And it's like that hour of not grocery shopping is just like, oh. And my girlfriend fought me tooth and nails like, that's lazy. That's this. And then I had to carry like three pounds, like 40 pounds of sweet potatoes and vegetable broth <laughs> oh in the snow. Gosh. And I literally go, we're getting Instacart tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like guess what the first time we got instacart is pouring rain in chicago and someone and we had to get toilet paper and the person's like sweating i mean think of uber so it's all this it's all the same stuff yeah. it's all leverage so i think it's just like creating what is my highest and best use of time and you'll figure it out like for me it was underwriting deals now that i'm trying to scale and get more team it's talking to investors and more team members so i can help build those systems but when it evolves and changes over time so just make sure you're challenging yourself weekly and looking at your calendar like what the hell happened yeah i think i think with leveraging uh so like mike i think back when we when we got uh, like our first two flips right i would i would argue everyone we talked to about it it was brand new right so people are, oh what are you guys doing now here's what we're doing um when we told everyone that we were doing all the work ourselves everyone's response was oh my gosh, I'm jealous. That's amazing. Look how much money you're saving, right? So that's everything we were hearing. Okay, hold on. Just well, yeah. Tra- track- I, yeah, but I bet none of them were doing that. And they're like, that sounds so cool. No, no, no. Well, here's where I'm going with it is when you talk about leveraging, right? If we, which we, we did finally get there, but when you think about it, it kind of, it's so, almost like a normal job. When you start thinking about it in terms of, how much time is going into this? And let's break it down to how much money am I, am I making per hour now, right? That's where all of a sudden the equation starts to shift. And every, 
that's where everything can change to where now when we, I would say a lot of those same people, when we say, yeah, we're actually contracting it out, they're thinking, well, that's a bummer. Yeah, like that's a lot of money you just lost. Mm-hmm. And we're like, that is some money we just lost. But you know what we just gained? We just gained a lot more time to now get more more properties. And it's a volume game. And that's where like for us understanding that. Yeah. Cause again, it was I mean, everyone said like if you guys know if it if if this is a skill you have, which is to renovate a house, they're like, then that means you should just keep renovating it all yourself. Yeah, but I think the biggest thing is like <clears throat> the excuse me. Uh the biggest thing, um, Every hour and you're not doing your highest, best use of time, you're not finding that. So, like, every hour you're working on that house, that's three hours gone. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. three hours collectively of you not underwriting a deal. Like, for me, that's that's ten brokers I'm not calling. That means I'm not getting three deals to underwrite. That means my analysts can't underwrite three deals. That means I'm losing a deal. And yeah. so, like, that's one hour, and you guys are three. So that's, like, that's nine deals you're not getting. Yeah. If you're cold calling, that's, what, in an hour you probably make 60 if you have one dialer. So that's 180 calls you're not making. So you're telling me in one hour of you three renovating, you can't, like, if you were to not renovate and cold call, that's 180 dials you're not getting. And over those 180, it doesn't mean you're probably not, you're missing out on at least three to five deals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's but that's like no one thinks like that. And I real I just recently realized that like two years ago, I was like, oh no, not many people think like that. And it's just like, oh, and I'm and I'm not, and I I know I say it a lot, but it's like I'm not perfect either. Like, I talk to a lot of brokers casually, but it's like I could be better monitoring it and underwriting and doing stuff. But it's like whatever your lead, whatever your highest and best use of time. And I talk to people, and my favorite as a coach is when people go. There's no deals out there, Mike. And I go, how many brokers did you call? And they go, I've called zero brokers. And I go, perfect. That is a perfect amount of brokers to call to never get a deal again. Good. I'm going to keep calling brokers. <laughs> and now we're getting more deals. It's it's weird how that works. Yeah. And the, and there's some times where I'm like, I'm going to start a GC company and do Rano's in-house and this. And it's like, oh, I took the eye off the ball and I missed the both of the deals fell through. And I have no deals again. So it's like you always have to measure your lead measure of what drives revenue. And for you guys, it's right. It's realizing like if you get one dialer and you all share it and do one hour, that's 180 dials in an hour. And if you do triple dialer, that's like, holy hell. (laughs) That's a ton of calls you could be making. Even text messages, right? Like those text campaigns, um, like Lead Sherpa, you can, what is it, 500 text messages in a day you can do throughout a day. I'm doing a thousand right now in batch. Yeah, so yeah. it's like if that's a thousand for one. Yeah, two thousand, three thousand. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's and then that's not no calls, no follow ups, no postcards, no handwritten notes, no follow like. So it's just it, it gets scary. It sounds scary, but it's just like you have to create some of that leverage. But I think the biggest thing is you guys are treating it like a business, and you realize that much early on instead of like having three jobs and you're like I want to just die. Because yeah. it feels like, like even getting into multifamily, I work till 10 and I don't recommend this and I'm not hustle porning, porn, giving hustle porn to everyone and go, oh, do it. 
I worked 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. every single day until my body funk like like I went to the best ever conference, averaged four hours of sleep for like four like probably a month and a half. I slept for 42 hours in four like three to four days, and I go I go to my girlfriend and go I'm dying. She goes No you idiot you're exhausted and you just ran your body into the ground, and it's like um, there's there I was just that passionate to get out of accounting. And I also was going to lose my job in the next week. But that's a different story. Uh, but it's just like you have to create leverage. And I was like, for $5 an hour, it's like I could have every like VA join every list for, of every broker in Nashville. Hmm. So it's just like your time is worth more than $5 an hour, whether you're 18, 40, 60, 25. Like you you can create some leverage. And it's how, how can I do this, not – can I do this? Sure. Mm. Well, I uh, hate to cut it off, but I feel like we could keep talking all night long. So <laughs> we're over an hour now. Um, for the listeners, run it back. <laughs> I know we will. For the listeners, how can they? Uh, how can they follow you? What are your socials? What's yeah, your YouTube. Uh, all of them are at Value Add Mike because zero percent of the people can spell my last name correctly <laughs> the first time. So yeah. everything is at Value Add Mike. Uh, Mike Taravella on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to email me, happy to help on your journey, invest at valueadmike.com and let's take over the world together. Awesome. Well, sweet. Uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. And thanks for dropping on the knowledge. It was an amazing episode. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. It's been cool to see you guys grow too. So it's like, you guys are figuring it out and guess what? We're all, we're all in it together. And that's like the beauty of real estate is like, we're all in different phases, but it's like the fir- only space where I'm like, oh, I can share this with you guys, and you're not going to be like, oh, I got to steal this or hide this. Mm-hmm. Is like, we're super transparent with it. So like, if you're trying to learn real estate and someone's kind of being weird about it, we're very transparent and honest. So just talk to new people, and we're here to help. So reach out to us. We're always happy to help serve. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, yeah, lastly, follow us at Wild West Realty Group <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> It's about all we got so far. Message, message Jeff if you want to sponsor the podcast. Yeah, like, comment, we're subscribe. For the sponsors, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening.